there's an automotive revolution afoot, and much of it has to do with mobility services. On this week's show, we hear from three different areas of mobility, academia, OEM research, and a working company, to find out what's going on and where we go from here. Coming up next on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to welcome you to AutoLine This Week. You know, the automotive industry is at an inflection point. All this ride sharing, car sharing, autonomous cars, and what they call mobility services. How are automakers going to deal with this? In fact, what's going to change in the cars themselves? I've got three experts here to talk about that this morning, including Carla Bailo. She's the Assistant Vice President of Mobility Research at The Ohio State <laughs> University. We've also got Melissa Kafkin. She's a Principal Researcher at Nissan Research in Silicon Valley. And Kristen Welch is the Head of Business Development and Corporate Strategy at a mobility company called Split. We're going to be hearing their views. And Carla, I'm going to start out with you right now, but the others can jump in anytime. What's your view of this, this switch from being traditional car companies, stampers and welders and all that, into mobility services? How do you see the transition going? Yeah, in my view, the entire auto industry is being so totally disrupted. And the change has to be integrated into the entire development process. When we talk about development processes today that are taking five years from idea to SOP. SOP being start of production. production. In the future, customers are going to expect these cars to be updated just like their cell phone. So you're talking life cycles of 18 months, maybe even one year in some cases, because these cars will never stop in a mobility service environment. Everything is going to change. The materials, the manufacturing, the sales channel. In my mind, it's going to be incredible. And I think the, the automakers that understand that disruption and get ready for it, they're going to be the ones that thrive. Okay, Melissa, you're at one of those car companies. <laughs> what are you all doing? I am. Well, I sit in a research organization. So for us, these possibilities of what comes next are really exciting. There's all sorts of ways that we can bring technologies and ways of thinking that might have started somewhere else in mobile devices, in other domains, and use that as a point of departure for thinking of what the possibilities for the future are. So I think that it is a stress in the organization to think about the timelines and scale for for development uh, and speeding that up. And we do see a little bit of a clash of different cultures, if you like, of who's bringing what into how to make things happen. But for the most part, it's very exciting and full possibility about where these things will go. Good, and we got to get into more detail on that, but I want to hear from uh, from Kristen now, because Kristen, you're already doing it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your company and what it's doing. Sure, thank you. Um, so Split is a mass model, mobility as a service, software company. We've created a mobility platform which is very malleable, very flexible. It can actually um, be used for corporate carpooling, university level carpooling, pooling into the center of cities. Um, we're looking at the tech though as the thing that needs to change, as Carla was mentioning before, constant change in the tech world is what we're really focused on. So we're taking our tech into car sharing, we're taking our tech into mobility in general, bus integration, fleet utilization, increasing fleet utilization, and working with OEMs and tier ones to make that happen using updated tech and a mobility platform. Melissa, you know, Nissan is one of these traditional car companies. In fact, it's Nissan, Renault, and now Mitsubishi has right. been added to the, the corporate umbrella here. 
what is the thinking inside the company? Are you really truly looking, I know you're in the research end, right. but is the company really trying to reposition itself as a mobility company? I think that uh, any any of the companies right now have to be looking at this future and thinking about what it really holds. And I think uh, there's a great deal of sincerity in that exploration of seeing what the possibilities are. So I don't want to speak on behalf of everything that might be going on. One thing that you find often with researchers is we sit in our own corner of things and often get lost in the weeds. Now, I sit in a very active corner in Silicon Valley where there's a lot happening and with us and others in the industry. Uh, and I think that you know, everything that I see is that it's a very serious uh, investigation into what those those possibilities are for future mobility. The commitment is to safe transportation for people around the world in all different walks of life, and I think that we think we have a role to play in that. Carla, everyone has to be thinking about this, who are, uh, is part of the traditional industry right now. You spent, uh, had a very successful career in the industry. Mm -hmm. Now you're standing out looking in at, on the research part of it at OSU. What's your view? How prepared is the industry for this transition? Well, for me, one of the most compelling questions, quite honestly, is what is your company's brand identity in this new era of mobility? Right now, most automakers, it's the fun of driving, it's the ride and handling, it's the experience. But fundamentally, the customers today are buying the car not for that brand identity, it's for how easy it is to connect and how easy it is to surf. So when you think about what will your new brand identity be, why will a ride sharing service choose your product, why will a customer or a business choose your product, you really have to think about what your new autonomous pod is going to look like and what that brand identity is. Are they ready? Still the bread and butter is coming from that, those vehicles coming off the assembly line. That's where the profit is. What I really want to see is the integration of their mobility services into the day-to-day -day operation. I believe you know the entire development cycle will be disrupted. And are they going to be able to integrate new mobility as a service platforms into that existing ingrained way of doing business? This is what remains to be seen yet. And I, I think you know well, most of the automakers have their mobility services separate from the hardcore day-to-day -day driven, you know, objectives of sales volume and market, you know, volume and that. So I think the company that's able to do that integration, again, those are the ones that are going to be ahead, and those who really make their new brand identity for the future are, are again, those that are going to be ready. And if I could just pick up on, I think you really spoke to, you know, what's going on for people out there in the world as they interact with and engage with these, the brands, but, you know, the products of the brands, the cars themselves, the vehicles of, of various types. And one of the, the things that um, I've brought in, in through the director of my lab in Silicon Valley saw a big opportunity to bring a more what we call a social perspective into this. So I'm actually a social scientist and I lead a team of social scientists. I think because in Nissan recognized that 
really what, what is at stake is what is happening with all the participants and the people in the world as they engage with these products. And the expectations are changing. And, and Or maybe they're being realized that the way that people live their lives and what they've been trying to do, um, there, it still remains that they, their vehicles have to be at the center of that. So as we take that perspective of people's everyday lives and bring it into what's happening, then we have to transform the company as well as we work to figure out how to take advantage of all that. And I think the OEMs, speaking as a Detroit-based tech startup, um, I think the OEMs are very interested. We have a number of open conversations and projects ongoing, perhaps maybe a big announcement coming up soon. But at Split, we're um, fielding a lot of those inquiries in the innovation teams. It is about the integration of the innovation team into the corporate strategy and into the corporate, you know, put the money where the mouth is, um, into the corporate goals, I think, over the future. But a lot of companies are interested in bringing new tech in. So I think that's a great start. Yeah. Kristen, what are some of the things that the car companies want to learn from Split? So we're looking at things like uh, head unit integration. We're looking at how pooling can happen in the connected and autonomous vehicle of the future. Something needs to pool it when it's picking us all up and dropping us off at, at um, events like this. And they can take new tech into that head unit. It doesn't have to be developed in-house. It can be brought in from an innovative you know, mobility startup and kind of utilized to the best advantage so you don't have to hire all those people internally. Melissa, I love what you're talking about too. Here you are from Silicon Valley and when we talk all oh, this autonomy, I instantly think of the high technology, LiDAR and radar and yep. sonar and artificial intelligence. You're, you're addressing the social aspects of how we do this. What are some of the issues that you're grappling with and trying to overcome? Yeah, well, I think that um, you know many of us, maybe it comes from the social sciences, that the, the soft stuff is really the hard stuff. So that what happens with people who are ever-changing, dynamic, and varied, and always will be, let's hope, um, that we have to sort of grapple with what that means for the implications of the vehicle. So I'll just take a problem that we're focused on and working on, just to give you an instance of how things might shift in the future. With autonomous vehicles, if you think of a future with possibly driverless cars, that what we look at everyday circumstances, and I'll be talking about this later today, um, is that we can see that what happens on the road, is a, it's a sort of social dance, where the vehicles, the cars, the pedestrians, the bicyclists, everybody's constantly reading the environment to understand how to move and how to get about, especially in cities that are very interaction rich, they're dense environments. Well, a lot of that signaling is actually learned behavior. We have to know things like cars drive on the right or on the left. The driver gets into the left-hand side of a car. That's where the driver's seat is. So if there's coming, that's where you would expect somebody to be getting out if a car has stopped. Little things like that that are not automatically sensible without having something tell you that that's what it means. So we're really trying to explore the way in which those interactions from the outside are going to continue to change. And I think I personally believe we're kind of at a paradigmatic moment in this shift with automotive and, and what's happening on the road that until now we've relied on the relationship between a driver and a vehicle to make all that happen. But in the future, the relationship of other road users, things on the outside are going to affect what that vehicle does. Mm -hmm. So it's a new interaction, it's a new source of control that is going to be I think very full of possibility, but also maybe at times a little scary what will happen as we sort out how that fits into place. And I think it's really interesting when we look at how to build trust in that product, both if you're inside the product and you're outside the product, so that people understand 
what what it's planning to do, yes. what it's thinking, how to how to show that to the customer. Today, I think we really struggle with that, and one of the things we're experiencing in some of our work at the university, should we put, you know, clear labels on autonomous vehicles so people know that it's, you know, driving autonomously and may not understand who they are, you know, maybe we should, but the con of that is... If we do that, then we're distracting people around the vehicle that they may do something equally as dumb. So all of this research is is really compelling, but the trust issue is a big one, and the figures currently show that a lot of people simply don't trust an autonomous vehicle that, that they can't control or feel they can't control. I'd love to... Go ahead, John. No, I, I was just going to add, of course people don't trust it. Most people have never seen an autonomous car. They definitely have never been in an autonomous car. They have no clue how it works. And when you don't know or understand something, you don't trust it. I, I think that can be overcome fairly easily. But, Kristen, I want to come back to you on this issue of trust that's been raised. Because you're addressing this with some of your peer-to-peer -peer mobility. Are. Explain that. Yeah, so what we do is we ride share in a corporate closed network environment. So it's people who work together at the same company or go to the same university or work downtown in a municipality together. And we've addressed that safety and security that other ride-sharing, ride-hailing um, enablers, tech enablers, have not really addressed. We've got people riding with the people they already know, perhaps, already trust because they work at the same organization. And we think that's really crucial to the success of the platform, keeping people engaged, keeping people involved. Um, and I, I also love the focus on the externalities, like the social responsibility and things like that, because we're about safety and security, we're also about sustainability. So filling the spaces in cars that are already going to a specific site location is really a focus of split. And also on our non-emergency medical transportation, we're working with equity and access. We're working with Lyft to get people to medical appointments that they would otherwise miss. So we're really focused on the social aspects as well. How do you get people to trust it then? I mean, I, I talked about they, they can overcome it. What are some of the steps that we're going to have to go through before the general public accepts these kinds of vehicles on the road? One, one thing that we do is we look at how things work today in, in the kind of work that I, um, I'm engaged in. So we start from today's world and realize that there's, there's so many resources at hand available and how people do things today that get to come forward. So if you think about it, there's already an enormous amount of trust that goes on on the road. One of the things that people are worried about in this question of marking autonomous vehicles is if people know it's an autonomous vehicle, are they going to game it? Are they going to try to take exactly. advantage by saying, we know that autonomous vehicles, and they are right, are being um, developed to at all costs avoid an obstacle. That is, the, you know, a first principle. Um, so they're going to try to avoid obstacles no matter what. So this could give license to others to jump out in front and say it's going to stop and not hit me. In fact, it's already happening. Well, it, 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 there, to a certain degree, it could already be happening. I mean, there, uh, Google, now Waymo, yeah. has got videos. You can Google yeah. this and, yeah. and find it. And yeah. there, there's one. It's so disgusting. It's some guy buck naked dancing in front of the car just to get it to stop. So if that's already happening now, what happens in the future? Well, some of that, yeah. though, is the novelty effect and, and the fact that people are purposely playing. When we look closely at what happens at intersections on roads, if you stop to think about it, people could already do that because as a normal 
professional driver, I bet when you drive down the road, you're not willing to hit somebody, right? You don't want the hassle. Maybe you think it's a bad thing to do. My guess is you're going to try. Most drivers today will do everything in their power to avoid hitting something. That doesn't mean that everybody else continues to go and take their turn. There's sense of etiquette. There's sense of proprietary. We know that the rule is turn-taking and that other people have to have their chance. So even though I think it could be a very real problem, especially in that transition, the novelty effect, um, it's not clear it will become a massive transformation that suddenly people are going to lose all sense of propriety and decide to you know, mess with the car just because it's autonomous. Yeah, I think the novelty will wear off. I do think people will do that. They'll play with it. And we're buying a, an Ollie for campus, and we're going to start running it uh, you know, around the campus bit, street. For those who don't know what Ollie is. The Ollie is Local Motors 12-passenger autonomous um, vehicle, 3D printed. It's super. It's powered it's by... It's powered by IBM Watson. You know, our intention is to really get rid of all our fleet vehicles on campus and replace them with autonomous shuttles to move um, people about so they only park once. We have 100,000 people coming in out, out of our campus on a daily basis. So we really want to get rid of the cars. So we're going to put one on campus, start training it on public roads, intermingled with regular traffic. And one of the questions Local Motors asked, who on your campus has experience in people trying to play with the autonomous vehicle? And we have some research, but it's not deep. But the fundamental thing that we all thought is, yeah, it's going to be cool for a while, and it's not going to be cool anymore. Um, you know, you're just going to, yeah, it, it's, it's the novelty it. will wear off. And, okay, there's another autonomous vehicle. I'm not going to play with it because whatever. Then, of course, the question that subsequently comes up is, how are we going to know if somebody's playing with it versus somebody's doing something stupid like walking in front of it with a cell phone because they're distracted? Um, I don't even know if we're going to have to go there, but it is a question that also begs to be answered when we talk about this. It's likely a series of steps, right? Uh, you think we need to legislate properly ahead of time and then move into it in a, in a series, probably. And I'm thinking that Split, through our riders, um, we have a responsive integrated dynamic reward system on our smart app. Um, we could incent the use of the autonomous vehicle. We're right now incenting the use of EVs, electric vehicles. So maybe there are baby steps that societies in, in general could take through the use of other technologies that could sort of normalize what we're talking about here. Kristen, are you going through this kind of transition? I, I mean, we don't even have autonomous vehicles yet, but right. you're providing mobility services. For most people, this is still a fairly new thing. Are, are you seeing a transition as people adopt this? Absolutely. We, we have to hit the market with enough education. We, we, do a, we put together a launch program before we go live with the ride-sharing corporate program or university program where we're educating everyone. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're trying to achieve, filling the spaces in cars that are void. We call it the ambient mobility cloud, there are people moving, and if we could just fill all that space, we don't need to put more cars on the road, especially when the autonomous vehicles come about and everybody has access. And, um, we don't want to increase the traffic, but we want to fill what's already going on. So it's a process. It's about educating on the ground and getting people sort of by baby steps again into this autonomous vehicle future, potentially. The split business model is, is so compelling to get the businesses involved in transporting people. They don't want, people don't want to drive to the office and arrive there stressed and tired and worn out. 
and businesses have a big role to play in today they're supplementing parking sometimes they're supplementing you know trips about town it just makes a lot of sense to make this that kind of partnership between startups and businesses and even we can think about you know government or public entities to really start to reduce some of our congestion and businesses have a big role to play in that now one thing that many people like is driving in their own car, their own little cocoon, because I can listen to the music I want, I can set the temperature where I want, I don't have to have anybody hassling me. Uh, if I have a phone call that I gotta take, hands-free, you know, connected safely, right? Uh, I can do that in privacy. So let, let's start with you, Melissa. How do you provide that when you're car sharing, ride sharing with other people in the car, or will people do that? Yeah, I think, well, there's a, a certainly a lot of work going on, a lot of design concepts for how interiors of cabins can be developed so that you could have at least, um, if it were, for example, a family car, you might have it as an optional kind of thing that time to put up the barriers. Wouldn't that be great <laughs> to like get those kids apart from each other when they start fighting? Uh, it could be sound barriers, it could be sort of physical creation of, of spaces with um, with haptics and with with stereos in the seats and things like that, that could provide some sort of ability to have separate spaces. The, op the ideal would be that those would be optional for uh, ride-sharing situations or other kinds. But I also, again, speaking as a person who wants to um, be careful not to get rid of the wonderful things about the social histories that we come from, you know, sometimes forcing people to be in an interactive space where they have to work things out or encounter each other might not all be a bad idea. We don't want to only create new cocoons. So having the, the ability to sort of um, bring these in in a modular fashion, have them been optional, is certainly there's a lot of exploration going on for that. Hmm? What will motivate people? I mean, uh, I, I got to believe that there's a, a hierarchy or priorities here. I want to save money. I don't want to deal with the congestion. Maybe I do like the social interaction. What do you all think is going to be what motivates people to say, you know, I'm going to give up use, private use of my car and I'm going to adopt this, this new mobility? Yeah, Splits thought a lot about that, actually. Um, we lead with uh, things like parking. Parking is a hassle in a lot of cities where there's inadequate public transportation. It's a thin city. We look at uh, parking availability. We look at people who are sustainability-minded. I think those people really want to, to do the right thing. And then the monetary savings. Um, in our mobility platform, there's a small reimbursement between the rider and the driver, um, just so people feel equity in that ride to work. So they're not mooching or you know getting something for free. And then the driver gets a little bit back, too, they were going to drive anyways, so part of their gas is supported. Um, but also the companies can incent, and the universities and the hospitals and the municipalities can incent people to do that, so you can actually get something out of it, maybe a gas card at certain level of ridership, or perhaps preferred parking. If you pull in with four people, you should get that spot up front, is how we believe it split. And it would be adequately marked with a sign. So yeah, there's, there are a lot of different things that people are focused on, and it depends on what your pain point is, what you're going to do it for. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that, the, the, again, that sort of adaptability and flexibility. A lot of people love the driving. A lot of people rely on time together in a car to, to have a certain experience. 
maybe it's where a couple goes to talk out something that they need to talk out. It's where a parent might want to go have a conversation with their teenage kids who don't want to sit down face to face over a dinner table. But you kind of need a little bit of a space and time, and you're looking together as you move forward in time and space, and you can have a different kind of interaction. There's been a lot of research at looking at the nature of interaction. So we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater to to force people into a single model of exactly what that experience will be. So I think a key driver will be, again, a certain amount of flexibility and adaptability in the range of options that are offered. I, I totally agree with that. And I just say simply, it's, it's seamless integration into their daily lives. If they're going to get rid of their personal mobility security blanket, which we call their vehicle, that they drive 5% of the time, they have to know that whatever situation they need to get from A to B is going to be available for them. So I think there's going to be a plethora of options in the future. There has to be, or we're not going to get rid of that security blanket. Okay, here we are at the management briefing seminars, and I should have explained this at the top of the show for the viewers out there who are wondering, what are all these people milling about in the background for? These are three speakers at this automotive conference, one of the premier automotive conferences in the world. So what would be your message to the car companies from a car standpoint? Carla, we're, we're getting down to the end. We need kind of a quick answer. Do the cars themselves need to change? Should they be designed in a different way for this? Absolutely. I think they need to be thinking about how the interiors need to be in the future. What is an autonomous pod? What do people want? How can they reconfigure it quickly? How, how can they do over-the-air updates for personalization? And really begin to think of all the different options that their customers are going to need in the future. Melissa, your thoughts? Yes, I think that I, I agree with much of that. And I think it's also, uh, to add to that, um, a chance for picking up on the sustainability question. This is a chance to think about what doesn't need to be there. And maybe we can redirect our materials and the construction so that we can create really sustainable, maybe it's lighter vehicles, maybe it's vehicles that provide more access to the world around us in different kinds of ways. Uh, so I think they will need to change. But again, let's be careful careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and get rid of the, the good stuff that we have. That's right. I don't think private ownership is going to go away anytime yeah. soon, even with right. all this mobility. But no. what would you tell the, the automakers, based on your experience already, can you give them some design tips of you ought to be thinking about this or that? Sure. Um, so auto, yeah, ownership model is going to change or probably will change, but we're focused on the fact that if you car share, you're getting more people in your brand. So if you're an OEM and you want more people in your brand, make it, um, you know, bring a technology in that allows people to car share on the way to wherever they're going. And we think that's an excellent model of, you know, sort of um, getting people in, getting them to see it. As far as the car, uh, we're auto agnostic. So as far as the OEM message around design or anything, it doesn't matter to us as long as it's a connected vehicle. I think that's really important. People have their mobile phones. That's their first point of connectivity. But distraction-free driving, carpooling, and safety in carpooling would lead us to believe that head unit integration and is really important in that model. So... Look, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap this up. This has been a fascinating discussion, and I love the viewpoints that the three of you are bringing because we didn't talk a whole lot about technology. We talked a whole lot more about human interaction. And I want to thank the three of you. Carla Bailo from Ohio State, Melissa Kafkin from Nissan Research, and Kristen Welch from Split. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.